minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Arab Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. and the A.M. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the NSN app, which also gives you an opportunity to uh, comment on anything that's happening here, and we welcome your comments on the NSN app, and um, uh, that's uh, very simple. On the home screen of the app, <clears throat> there's a little uh, tab at the bottom that says Add a Comment, and uh, you can comment away once you've uh, clicked on that tab. Friday morning broadcast, and this July 8th, the 2nd of Tammuz, on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach, our thoughts with those in uh, Dallas, Texas, who are um, in a community now that is uh, facing even greater challenges um, after the uh, horrific as the New York Times calls it, ambush in Dallas, where snipers have killed five police officers. Uh, these, um, uh, this episode, rather, reminiscent of um, other times in uh, American history that have been life-changing for many uh, when it comes to uh, protests and uh, actions between civilians and police. And uh, this was just one horrific night. This ambush in Dallas, uh, which has killed five police officers, have left, has left six others injured by these snipers. And um, there were protests going on uh, in different parts of the country, including New York last night, because of the police shootings that have become well-known now that happened in Minnesota and Louisiana this week. And, uh, again, our thoughts with those who are... Uh, who are part of the um, uh, residents of the city of Dallas who are going through a very challenging time and one that's had a ripple effect that is going to, no doubt, uh, continue to have a major effect on uh, on the entire country in the wake of this uh, horrific episode. Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM with 76 degrees outside and 83% humidity. Winds are north at 2 miles an hour. Afternoon thunderstorms and a high temperature of 88. Scattered thunderstorms for tomorrow, a low, or for tonight rather, a low of 71. Tomorrow, scattered thunderstorms, a high Shabbos, just 79 degrees. 82 in Yerushalayim. Regards to our friends up in Guilford, New York at Camp Misora. We're there at 64 degrees uh, this morning. And uh, here in uh, Jersey City, 76 degrees, heading up to 88 on a um, Friday morning at JM in the AM. We have our weekly update coming up at the 7.40 this morning. It's over an hour from now. Rabbi Yudin, of course, is going to be joining us in the 8 o'clock hour, talk about the Parsha of the week, and the plenty more happening on a Friday morning. Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. The... Um, New York Times report from Dallas says five Dallas police officers were killed and six others wounded by snipers Thursday night during a demonstration protesting shootings by officers in Minnesota and Louisiana this week. Police say they believe four people coordinated the attack with rifles and positioned themselves in triangulated locations near the end of the route the protesters planned to take. The police had three people in custody were negotiating in the early morning hours with a fourth who was in a garage in downtown Dallas. That suspect had exchanged gunfire with the police and was being uncooperative in talks, according to the police chief. 
The suspect has told our negotiators, he said, that the end is coming and he's going to hurt and kill more of us, meaning law enforcement, and that there are bombs all over the place in this garage and downtown. We're being very careful in our tactics so we don't injure or put any of our officers in harm's way, including the citizens of Dallas, as we negotiate further, he added. Three other suspects were a woman who was taken from the garage and two others who were taken in for questioning after a traffic stop. President Obama addressing reporters at a meeting with European leaders in Warsaw after speaking by phone with Mayor Mike Rawlings of Dallas said that while much remains unclear, what we do know is that there has been a vicious, calculated, and despicable attack on law enforcement. The president went on, police in Dallas were on duty during their jobs, keeping people safe during peaceful protests. These law enforcement officers were targeted. Nearly a dozen officers were shot. Five were killed. Other officers and at least one civilian wounded, some in serious condition, and we are praying for their recovery. So that is the uh, the latest story to dominate the headlines worldwide, as you would suspect. And our thoughts again with the people of Dallas, Texas. Five Dallas police officers killed at this protest against police shootings. There are injuries, as we mentioned, and our prayers and thoughts with the people of Dallas this morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, our music list included the Weinrub Brothers with Me'ain Olam Haba, Itcha Ani, brand new from Avram Fried, Eitan Freilach, and Eliyahu. We spoke with him yesterday here at JM in the AM. L'chad Odi, done by the Breslov Bar Band, except Saturday with Ms. Marshir, Aryeh Kunstler before that, off the CD from the Depths, and Regesh with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning, and hopefully a good morning it will in fact be. 22 minutes before 7 o'clock Friday morning, JM in the AM. Our friends from Nefesh Benefesh are getting ready for their big charter flight that's happening on the 18th of July. We'll check in in that regard with uh, some very interesting guests later on in this program in the 7 o'clock hour, plus, of course, the weekly update. Malcolm Holmline and I get an opportunity to discuss the events of this week and some of the uh, really challenging challenges ahead uh, for the uh, Jewish people and for the people of Israel. Um, it is uh, There's a lot to discuss, we'll put it that way. And I hope you'll be tuned in anywhere and everywhere around the world at jmnam.org and, of course, on the NSN app. More coming up, including this from uh, Benny Friedman at jmnam.
Schabes ist ab zu Fenerungen vorgelegen, Schabes an alle Kümmern neu kriegen, es du mir trinkst, du mir singst, anigen. Wir danken dir in Leben, dir heilige Beure, wo du hast gegeben, die heilige Teure, wenn aus einer Lange teure Asemes, teure Asemes. Wir danken dir in Leben, dir heilige Beure, wo du hast gegeben, die heilige Teure, wenn aus einer Lange teure Asemes, teure Asemes. Jedisch hab es keudes kommt und geht aber und von jedisch zu reisen nicht als nicht keiner. Arribel scheut zwei tausend Jahren und nicht weit in Haus. Ich bei dir Gott in dir, oh, wo's wird sein, der Sohn. In der Schule, ich bin ganz dunkel, mir kann jemand kommen sein. Steht mein Vater, ja, ich will dort bei mir mit ganz allein. Mischt in mich dem Yankee Lemmer and Shabbos Kodesh. Yaakov Shweki's We Are a Miracle. You heard Viazar done by Udi Ulman. Ari Boyanju and Anna Hashem. Benny Friedman's Bum Bum opened up that set. Friday morning on this July 8th, the 2nd of Tammuz, and it's an Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach outside of Israel. We read Parshas Korach outside of Israel. Candlelighting time at 8.09 on this Erev Shabbos. 8.09. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Afternoon thunderstorms, a high temperature of 88. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 
Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Malcolm Holmline joining us at 7.40 this morning. We'll take a look at the events of this week through the uh, eyes of the Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. That happens 40 minutes from now here at JM in the AM. Make sure to be tuned in around the world, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Our thoughts and prayers of the people of Dallas, Texas, where snipers have killed five police officers overnight. Uh, there are um, at least six injured in a calculated attack coordinated by at least four people during a uh, protest regarding the recent police shootings in Minnesota and Louisiana. Our thoughts and prayers of the people of Dallas, Texas. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM, Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday. Erev Shabbos follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. גליצל השעה שתיים, כאן אביה מלכה עם מה שקורה עכשיו. נשיא ארצות הברית ברק אובמה מתייחס לתקרית הירי בדאלאס, שבה נרצחו חמישה שוטרים, מהלך מחאה על אלימות המשטרה נגד שחורים, ואומר, זו מתקפה נתעבת. זו מתקפה מרושעת ומחושבת על גורמי אכיפת החוק. אנחנו מזועזעים מההתפתחויות ועומדים מאוחדים עם תושבי דאלאס, עם המשטרה המקומית. כך אובמה שמבקר כעת בפולין. יושב ראש הקואליציה דוד ביטן הודיע כי ימשיך לקדם את חוק ההשעיה. כתבנו מיכאל שמש. בהודעה שהוציא יושב ראש הקואליציה לפני זמן קצר כתב כי סיעת המחנה הציוני מסרבת לתמוך בחוק שנועד להרחיק את חנין זועבי בעקבות כך הקואליציה תמשיך לקדם את חוק ההשעיה שיאפשר להדיח חברי כנסת שיסיתו לטרור בקריית ארבע נפצע קשה רוכב אופניים בן 60 לאחר שנפגע מרכב. הוא סובל מחבלת ראש ופונה לבית החולים הדסה עם כרם. שני רוכבי אופנוע נפצעו בינוני בעקבות תאונה ביניהם בקריית עתה. כתבנו קובי מנדל מעדכן שהם פונו לבית החולים רמב"ם. בקרמלין אומרים כי דיוני נאטו על האיום הרוסי מגוחכים. כתבתנו קרן בן מרדכי. דובר הקרמלין דמיטרי פסקוב אמר שרוסיה הייתה ונשארה פתוחה לדיאלוג עם נאטו ומוכנה לשתף פעולה עם מדינות הארגון. במוסקבה הוסיפו כי הם מקווים שההיגיון הבריא יגבר בפסגת מדינות נאטו הנערכת בוורשה, והוסיפו כי זה מגוחך שבעלות הברית הצבאית דנות באיום אפשרי מצד רוסיה. ומזג האוויר היום יהיה נאה ובשבת התחממות. ולסיום, מזכות משחק פוקימון גו שהושק השבוע, המניות של חברת משחקי הוידאו נינטנדו מזנקות. כתבנו ניתאי ענבי. פוקימון גו, המשחק המיועד לטלפונים חכמים, הושק רק שלשום בארצות הברית ובאוסטרליה, וכבר הצליח להקפיץ את מניית נינטנדו שמחזיקה בזיכיון לדמויות בעשרה אחוזים בן לילה. במשחק מפתחים פה כדור, ביצה שבה נמצא הפוקימון, מאמנים את הדמויות, מאתרים פוקימונים אחרים, ומנהלים איתם דו-קרב. אלה החדשות שעורכת נועם דהן, בצוות רון פיטרו וטל וניג. Yeah.
J.M. in the A.M. with brand new music from Yehuda. That's Tzori Yisrael. The Friedman family had Menucha v'Simcha. Avremo, brand new with Hallelujah off of Bring the House Down. And you heard Kiavi done by the uh, Waterbury Yeshiva cast here at J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning broadcast on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Korach. Outside of Israel, it's Parshas Korach. Candle lighting time at 8.09 on this Erev Shabbos. 8.09 is your official candlelighting time. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Well, uh, many of you, and our, our thoughts, of course, and prayers of the people of Dallas, Texas, in the wake of this uh, horrific episode, this coordinated sniper attack against law enforcement officials that took place overnight. Many of you are aware that um, on the 18th of July, we're going to be heading to Israel, escorting yet another uh, Nefesh Benefesh flight, to uh, yeah, actually they're escorting us right uh, to Israel as their charter flight on July the uh, 18th gets closer and closer, and we get ready for the excitement of uh, transmitting all the uh, amazing emotions of that uh, of that flight and of the uh, ceremony in Ben Gurion Airport back to our listeners here in the United States and around the world. Uh, we asked Nefesh Benefesh to. Um, to give us an opportunity to speak to some of the Olim who had recently made Aliyah so that we can uh, get a perspective on what it's like uh, months after moving to Israel. Maybe they, they have some advice for some of the people that are going to be going now, July the 18th or during the August flight, uh, about um, you know the last few weeks before they take off from North America to Israel. So Sarah and Ron... Nachshon are with us live from Yerushalayim. They are living now in Yerushalayim. are about to move to Modi'in. And last August, they uh, made Aliyah on the Nefesh Nefesh charter flight. And they join us live via telephone. Shalom, shalom. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for joining us here at JM in the AM. Thanks for having us. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, Ron, how has it gone? It's almost a year is there a general evaluation you could give to your initial year of Aliyah? Well, we feel very blessed um, about having the opportunity to fulfill our dreams to move here. Uh, we feel we've had a pretty smooth landing, and the first year people say is the hardest because you have cultural adjustments and you have to find work and just re, re, kind of get used to your new life. But we, we both feel very fortunate. We've had a, only a positive experience so far. Sorry, agree with that? Yeah, I would say we've had a pretty easy landing. Everything kind of fell into place pretty quickly for us, so we're blessed. Is there a piece of advice, and, and, I, and I do want to speak about you know how you're adjusting and, and what you're doing in Israel, but before that, is, is there a piece of advice? I'm sure you remember what it was like 10 days before the journey. Is there something you would say to people who are getting on the July 18th flight 10 days in advance of the flight? It's a good question. Um, I would say just to soak everything in because at that point, they're really on a, on a honeymoon phase of what it's like to live in a jar. Not to say that we're no longer in the honeymoon phase. We're still so, so lucky to be here. But just to uh, really remember the feelings that you have now and the dreams that you have and just how important and how lucky you are to uh, be able to fulfill those dreams. Is there a tremendous amount of nervousness and trepidation at this point for families that are making this move uh, this close to the charter flight, or most of that has already dissipated by this time? No. Yeah, no. 
still a little bit, but I think we're a lot more comfortable now. Uh, but closer to the target site, there's still so much unknown. You know, you land and maybe you have plans, but you don't actually know what your life will look like day to day once you land in the south. So it's definitely still scary closer to the target site, but just take it slowly and everything will fall into place, hopefully. I'm curious about the, and so many people are curious because uh, th- those of us who think of moving to Israel want to know about employment adjustments and um, the difficulty or the ease with one which can adjust to their new job or new surroundings in the workplace. Ron, let's start with you. You're 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 part of a high tech startup, is that correct? Yes, it is. And the, the, what is the nature of you know what the startup does, and was it a difficult adjustment for you to be working now in Israel? Sure. Um, so the startup itself runs a website. Um, it's called HomeTalk. They actually employ a fair number of Olim. Um, so they run a website um, that has ideas, creative ideas to do around your home, like cheap, um, innovative things to do around the house. Um, but it's an Israeli CEO, and all the back end is done here in Israel. Um, so I found that job a couple of months in, and I'm doing like business intelligence and data analysis. Uh, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Planning is very fulfilling, and I work with great people. And overall, I mean, you know, I kind of, when we came, I didn't have any specific plans of what I was going to be doing. Um, but, again, like, we feel very thankful that things fell into place. Um, the high-tech sector here is, is pretty vibrant. There's a lot of opportunities for anybody that's interested in that. So I feel thankful to have found something that even now, nine months after I started, I'm still enjoying and um, gives me the opportunity to grow and thrive and, and settle our roots here. Are you, are you moving because of the location of work, or are you just, it's time to get to Modi'in? Uh, it's time to get to Modi'in. Um, we're in Jerusalem now, so we're actually moving farther away, uh, but we're ready to establish ourselves, I guess, in more of a community. Um, and Modi'in is just a, it's a nice quality of life there. Uh, it feels a little more suburban, which is more our, our speed. And socially, we think it'll be a good fit for us. Um, we're pregnant now with our first child, and we're ready to start establishing the family life. So, Modi's is a good fit. Amazing. And, uh, Sarah, the, the adjustment, I'm sure there are a lot of people in this audience that are curious about this because of the line of work you're in. The, the adjustment to the nursing industry uh, from here to Israel, how would you describe it? Um, I would say it's... Honestly, it's a bit difficult, but it's manageable. I was, um, I actually started working at Shari Sada this week, which is my first week, so I was able to get everything done in 10 months, which isn't so bad. Um, there's a really amazing support system here, the limbs who have been through the process, and I don't think I would have been able to do it without that. So that's something to look into for any nurses who are planning on moving and transferring their license, that there are people who can help. They could make it easier, it's difficult, but you could do it. <laughs> as, as you've proven, <laughs> Ron and Saranach showed from Israel. Uh, they were on the flight last August, under a year ago, with Nefesh Benefesh, and they are now uh, in the Holy Land, ready to start a family in Modi'in. Um, the, the, uh, the incredible part about what Nefesh Benefesh has done is well known, and that is you made this process so much easier. Uh, but it, it was described to me, and I, I think I saw this in the in the blurb that I was sent about you, uh, meaning both of you. It was described to me that that it, it was even easier 
than you expect. In other words, you expected a certain amount of ease with this whole process, but you couldn't believe just how much easier it was even based on your expectations. Would that be an accurate description? I would say so. Yeah, nothing for nothing has been great before Aria and even after they send emails and they call to make sure that we're adjusting okay, just to check up and make sure everything's okay. Phenomenal. I believe they recently had an event for July 4th. We weren't able to meet it because we were working, but for Lim also, just to get together. It's pretty amazing the way yeah. it works. Well, I wish you both the best of luck. Ron and Sarah Nachshon, they're heading to Modi'in from Yerushalayim. They've been in Israel since August of uh, last year, 11 months, and part of the uh, amazing charter flight last year, and we hope to join many of their colleagues who are now going to become Olim. Uh, just 10 days from now, from Kennedy Airport to Israel. Uh, I thank both of you. Continued success and good luck. And uh, I am sure your story, like many others out there that we've been able to report, will inspire others to look into heading to the Holy Land as soon as possible. Todaraban, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. 7.30 in the morning on a Friday. Good, inspiring Aliyah message is always... Welcome here at JM and the AM. 7.30 on a Friday. Candle lighting at 8.09. Plenty more coming up, including Malcolm Holmline, who is uh, going to help us analyze the events of this week with the weekly update. That's happening at 7.40 this morning here at JM and the AM. <laughs>
We'll use that tune from Eighth Day as a wake-up call to our friends in the uh, waiters staff up at Camp Masora. They are they are just getting up, apparently, and uh, we'll dedicate that song to them and give them best regards. They get ready to uh, do a great job for the um, large crowd up in Masora this Friday, and of course for the upcoming first Shabbos of camp, and we send them the best from all of us here at JM and the AM. Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach with candlelighting time at 8.09 on this Erev Shabbos, 8.09. Reminder, we had both uh, Pei Dalit on the air this week and Eitan Freiluch, brand new music alerts. Those of you who have not had an opportunity to hear those conversations and check out the brand new music, you could head to the archive section of jmtheam.org, and you'll have an opportunity to uh, hear those. I want to thank our friends at jewishworldreview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible live stream to their readers. And as I always say, if you want thousands of articles about this uh, amazing world of ours to print out before Shabbos, they have uh, all that available to you if you go to jewishworldreview.com. And a big thank you to onlysimchas.com. I saw that onlysimchas utilized our interview with uh, Major General Daron Almog, who was the first IDF commander down at uh, on the Entebbe uh, tarmac. Uh, 40 years ago. Uh, they utilized uh, that as part of their news feed, interesting stories that they find from around the Jewish world to uh, post to their regular news feed, so check that out on a daily basis as well. You'll be glad you did. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Yes, thank you. Always good to be with you on an Arab Shabbos. Yeah, uh, crazy night down in Dallas, as we know, and uh, many sensitive situations seem to uh, lead to some um, very interesting times here in this country. Any thoughts in the uh, aftermath, in the very, very early aftermath of what has uh, been uh, one of the most vicious attacks on law enforcement in this country? I mean, I think everybody is stunned by the, uh, by the death of five policemen and the wounding of six and uh, recognizes that obviously this had to be a well-coordinated uh, effort. There must have been training. There must have been uh, time put into this, and how they reacted or organized so quickly around this event is a question I'm sure that they will be will be looking at. But I think it, it adds to the tenor, both after the other incidents during the week and the um, political campaign and the charges of anti-Semitism, racism that, that are, uh, abound, uh, that people's skepticism or concerns about the direction of American society and the rifts within the society and the tendencies towards extremism uh, is, is um, I think, becomes more and more justified and, and warranted. I don't know that there's any easy answers, but there's clearly um, a, a major problem that we have to, that has to be addressed. You just touched on um, uh, the anti-Semitism issue seeping into the presidential election. I know it's not a topic that's uh, that one you feel is worthy of discussing, meaning the presidential election at this point. As we get closer, I'm sure obviously we'll have things to say about it. But it, it could not have made you happy that this issue somehow crept into the national scene. Uh, because of one of the presidential candidates? Uh, I, I'm not sure crept is the right <laughs> word for the way Leaped. this thing <laughs> yes. came crashing down on, uh, right. on, on uh, this week. And, uh, you know, the, the, there were so many elements 
both in in terms of the the Star of David story or and and the you know statements about it and then counter statements about it both coming from from individuals and and people related or uh, in other ways and the the um, you know statements by uh, Max Blumenthal about Elie Wiesel everything seemed to take on a Jewish tone and a Jewish uh, character that that the um, uh, I am not happy about it. Very unhappy about it. I don't think this should be the issue, and I hope that uh, that we're past this now, and and these this will will uh, uh, not color the rest of the campaign. But the what what is equally disturbing to me was the reaction of people who wrote about it, and how, as others previously did, reported. The huge amount of anti-Semitic emails, calls, threatening calls, and stuff that they received uh, for whatever they they wrote, uh, critical of a candidate or or about a particular issue, and that that worries me. As I said, I think there's something fundamental going on in American society. There's a frustration. There's anger. There's uh, a readiness to to leap on uh, to anti-Semitic uh, reactions, and I, I, I just I think it's too early. Obviously, we don't have a, a grasp on all of this. But to me, those are are very disturbing things about t- t- looking at something more fundamental than the particular issue. Right. Uh, you you would call it though uh, not unexpected, right? I mean, uh, we know from history that very often. Jewish issues or attitude toward Jews, uh, you know, seep in or leap in to these, you know, confront- political confrontations and conversations. And this is not, this is not, un- it may be somewhat unusual for this country, but it's not that unusual in terms of the, uh, you know, the broader picture of our history. Well, it's certain, it has been true in America, too, throughout uh, the country's existence. We've had manifestations of this kind, and of course, times when it was much worse than it is now. The question, really, the test becomes how do those in authority deal with uh, manifestations of anti-Semitism? Traditionally, that's the measure. It's not whether society has haters. It's how do they address the haters? How, how are they held to account? What steps are taken? But today, with Facebook, with the, with the Internet, with all of these tools that enable people to communicate anonymously, even hateful messages, to large numbers of people, and without any counter, without the ability to answer all the thousands of anti-Semitic websites, all of the hate phone, other uh, bigoted uh, sites, it, it's a different quality than than before, and a different volume, I guess, as well. Yes, of course. Um, you mentioned Ellie Wiesel. Um, we, we often, during this segment, uh, when appropriate, point out how one person can make a difference, and you've encouraged people out there to view themselves as people who, as individuals, can make a difference. Uh, what can you tell us uniquely about him? Uh, there's so much that's fascinating about his life and the way he approached what he went through and the representative that he was for both a tragic event and really for the Jewish community at large. What, what could you tell us that we might not know about how he projected himself in the Jewish world publicly? Well, there really is a lot. And uh, at the Shiva yesterday, I was listening to other people and and was asked to recount uh, a personal experience 
I had early on, and he was one of the first people I met when I came to New York. He was very active in Soviet Jewry. He was uh, obviously an advocate. He wrote the book, The Jews' Silence, which was uh, a landmark event in the Soviet Jewry movement and was clearly identified um, with the movement very strongly. Um, but I, I had uh, arranged the first Jewish Heritage Week, National Jewish Heritage Week announcement by President Ronald Reagan, and we had a ceremony in the White House, and uh, I invited uh, Ellie and uh, the president of the JCRC, then was uh, Peggy Tishman and myself, we went to the White House at a time, if you recall, the Bitburg controversy oh, yes. broke out literally simultaneously, and I think it was the, that the day before that we really found out that the president was going to visit Bitburg, and if you remember, it was Pat Buchanan and others who right. organized it and arranged it, and they didn't want to back off because at Bitburg, it's a cemetery in Germany that the president was paying an official visit to. Uh, they well, and it, was, it, it was a military cemetery, right? That was the issue. Well, it was a military cemetery with SS people right. buried there. Correct. And, and so designated. Right. And... You know, people obviously objected to it. And Don't tell uh, me it was at that meeting that he chided the president in front of the entire world. Was it at that meeting? That that right. that, that exactly famous speech? Exactly the point. And uh, that's very good now. What kind of guts? What kind of guts did that place? Right. Oh, and, I love that and quote. Before that, he, he said to me, look, I don't know if I can come because I really have to tell him how I feel. I said, look, you tell him because... I have, and I will find the opportunity to do it as well. And we I did have a private meeting with the president before where he told me something remarkable that, that he said he had never told anybody, but that when he left the Army, I think in 45 or 44, he was in a film unit. He said, I stole a film, and I took it with me when I left. And it was a film of the concentration camps. So it had to be 45, I guess. And... He said, because I thought that the time would come when people would say this didn't happen, and I wanted my grandchildren or their children to be at least able to give a first-hand testimony that it did. Oh, wow. Now, remember, this is a long time ago, yeah. and uh, that foresight was amazing. But that Wiesel, we had a private meeting, and then when he went out, and you know, he made that famous statement and those words, and when you ask about his, amongst his gifts was this, unique ability to articulate the causes and to find exactly the right words to that encapsulate oh, it. That's it. It was the combination of the guts to do that in front of the President of the United States, in his house, right, essentially. It was in the White House, correct? Right. So do exactly. it in front of the President of the United States and in front of the world. And But his choice of words, his choice of words was always spot on. Right. Was It was just incredible. Was something you would walk away to quote. Exactly. Just amazing. And um, the combination of those two things, having the nerve to do it and saying it the right way. And when you think about it, the quote is not really, you know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a challenging or demeaning quote. It, it, is, it is a... No, it was respectful. Exactly. It was critical, but it, it was respectful. Right, exactly. And they went, we went on. I mean, it didn't end with that. Right. Not the time to go through that whole history, but the, the, issue, the, the incident to me was reflective of of who he was and you know if I would call him and tell him that we had an event against Ahmadinejad against uh, about Soviet Jewry during all of those years but also subsequently on, on Israel his answer was yes right. he didn't ask me how many people are going to be there he didn't say you know who else is speaking 
his answer was usually yes. And, uh, and you know, when somebody reaches the heights that he did, would have a right to be, you know, more, uh, let's say, selective or... Sure. But he did not, and he... He was always there for for the community. I was always intrigued by his insistence that the Holocaust remain um, essentially exclusive to Jews. And what I mean by that is when, when interviewers would ask him, could the Holocaust happen again, this type of thing. And remember, we're in an era where, and you, you, you practically every week tell us about different situations, whether it's ethnic cleansing, whether it's episodes in different countries where literally there are massacres taking place you know, on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And and he could have taken that approach, but he but with all that and by the way he fought for all those causes and was very outspoken about all those causes. But with all that, he always had this underlying premise that the Holocaust had to remain unique to the Jewish people. Did you think that was the right perspective? Uh, I I did, and that the word Holocaust was appropriated by people in ways that diminished it. You cannot just use it as a as a normal term. Genocide is one thing. There are he rose and spoke for, against genocide. I spoke at the UN recently for the anniversary of the Tutsi massacre in Rwanda. Because if we if we are really pledged to never again, we have to speak out when there are injustices and certainly mass atrocities and things like that. Right. But the the what his message and one I share is that the word Holocaust is meant to to reflect a unique event where one people was singled out in such a massive way with the complicity of so many others, complicity we always learn more and more about, that uh, that he felt, and I feel that the word and the, and the identification has to be unique. It does not mean you can't say there are other genocides and there are other horrific things and there are words that can be used to describe those events. But he wanted to keep this term separate so you don't diminish it and demean the unique nature of the Holocaust. Mm, unbelievable. So many lessons to learn from him. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. I know there's a lot of hard news to get to and a lot of things to discuss, but just indulge me for a moment. It's such an important thing that you always point out, and I think we have a unique opportunity to really drive this point home. I saw uh, Yassi Baumel earlier this week, and he says to me, he's with Yeshiva Mokar Chaim, a high school in the uh, in, in Harei Yehuda, and he says to me that uh, over the last year, six boys in the in the Yeshiva, in the high school, uh, had become Avelim, had become mourners because of episodes relating to terror attacks which I thought was unbelievable in terms of the sheer number. And, you know, we're not talking about a massive high school. And, um, and then I checked back with him just to, you know, get the accuracy of all this. So th- it's, it's not the last year. It's actually since the boys were kidnapped two years ago. But since then, Captain Benayas Sarel fell in protective edge. He's a graduate with a brother now studying in that yeshiva. Uh, Dalia Lemkus was stabbed at the Gush Etzion intersection. She has a brother in the yeshiva. Shalom Shirky, a victim of a ramming attack in Yerushalayim, has a brother in the yeshiva. His other brother, TV reporter Yair Shirky, is a graduate of the yeshiva. Daphne Meir stabbed in Utniel is the son of a student. Son, rather, her son is a student and her husband a graduate of the yeshiva. Captain Eliav Gelman, a Gush Etzion intersection uh, attack, graduate of the yeshiva. And, of course, Mickey Mark who was murdered last Friday after we had spoken on these airwaves. His son, Pidaya, just finished ninth grade at Makor Chaim. And I point this out, 
and read the list because you have reminded us countless times, and I'd appreciate if you would do it again, the ripple effect that every one of these terror attacks has on Israeli society, on families, on communities, on regions, and of course on the state of Israel collectively. And I think it's just a very important message. I thought about it again when, uh, as Rabbi Mark, uh, when you saw the pictures of the family, the, the wife who, who was badly wounded also and fought, fought, fought for her life and came back and is being treated but still in very serious condition, and the uh, daughter and the, the other children, and the news headlines die away. But they have to live with the consequences. There are children that grow up without a father, it's uh, the, you, you think of the emotional burden, the financial burdens, the, the personal impact this has, and the stoic nature of the responses of, of how so often, if you remember the, the three mothers, especially Mrs. Frankel, and how they comforted others, and that we read about uh, Halel's mother uh, comforting visitors yeah. and strengthening them, the incredible nature of the people involved and, and their dedication and their, you know, how a parent doesn't go crazy, I don't know, uh, at the loss of a child like this and uh, or, or a loved one in any event. But, you know, the, the ongoing burden and there are organizations like One Family that, that to try to help and raise funds because many of these people have very limited resources and depend upon the you know the breadwinner or the expenses that are incurred with treatment. We, 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 when somebody is wounded, uh, we don't think about the fact that this can be a lifelong struggle. Then, yeah. So the a the, the the heroism of the people that they're not intimidated that life goes back that people resume life and um, and it's a message about the Holocaust survivors. It wasn't a rational decision for many of them to rebuild their families, to, to take on the burdens uh, the, that, of what they went through and, and horrific experience that would have entitled every one of them not only to be, to be cynic, but to be angry, angry with everyone, and, and to um, not continue uh, with life. Uh, but this is Uvahart of Achaim. This is what we're commanded to choose life. And the, you know, I was thinking about it last night, the contrast that when you have these tragic things, there always seems to be a corresponding event, like the new discovery or, or something they found, the, the shul in the, in the 5th century shul in, in the, the Lower Galilee, a Roman era shul, yeah. with amazing depictions, I mean, unprecedented mosaics, of Kriyas Yamsuf, of the splitting of the Red Sea, and of the and of the, the Teva of Noah's Ark, depicting the animals, depicting everything, and for all of those who are skeptics about the biblical here, this is 1,600 years old, and it's exactly as we see. You see the soldiers and the chariots drowning, and and a message to us to reinforce our faith to say, listen, guys, you know, uh, this is a bad moment, but don't give up, don't. Don't feel that this is uh, time for to you to be the Mayayish and to give up hope or to, to become weak. I just think that the, the people of Israel deserve so much more credit than they get. And, you know, we have so many in the world who try to isolate Israel, trying to hold the campaigns, whether it's BDS. And yet you see how in Africa this week, eight countries involved in, in, in coming together to summit, 
Tanzania, Tanzania announces an opening an embassy. Many of them talk about the trade they want to do. They, they uh, meet 70 Israeli businessmen went with him, and they had amazing sessions. I, I've heard that the president of Somalia holds a, a secret meeting, Hassan Sheikh Mohammed, for the first time ever, uh, and meets with him. That that uh, Africa, which had cut itself off from Israel, if you remember trying to chase that pot of gold at the end of the oily rainbow and found that they got nothing. Huh. Today, fearing Iran, turned to what country? To Israel. And I got calls from other heads of state, other African countries, that wanted Bibi to visit there or, or to be invited, and they obviously couldn't do them all. But today, they all turned to Israel. Did any of them have embassies before this? None of them had. Nobody has the embassies in Israel from the Africans. And, um, there are 54 countries. If, if in fact, and Israel had, has aid programs in many of them. Rwanda uh, has had a very close relationship with Israel. Uganda has developed a closer relationship with Israel. I, I don't think, maybe Rwanda may have an embassy, but uh, I don't think uh, any of the others. And the, this is such a big breakthrough. And then you see the skepticism, the cynicism, you know, people saying, well, it was a, a road show, it was this or that. It was profound. It opens up Africa to Israel, to Israeli business, to political purposes for, for so many things that are important. You know, I've discussed our other efforts in the, in the Mediterranean area and elsewhere uh, to, to break Israel just out of the narrow confines of the Middle East. But even in the Middle East today, you see how, how uh, the atmosphere has, at least for now, changed. And unofficially, meaning not on a governmental level, there's been a... Uh, a surge in Israeli uh, uh, business in Africa over the last few years, right? There has been, ranging from everything from Prepix, which is a, a non-surgical circumcision device that uh, has affected millions in Rwanda alone, and it's, uh, it's an Israeli invention that uh, cuts AIDS by by 65% circumcision cuts AIDS, and this is a way to do it without having, because most of the people die from the infections they get in the hospital, so if this is non-hospital, this could be administered, but an education in medical tech and high tech and agriculture in so many areas that Israel has so much uh, to offer. And, um, Pretty so, amazing. And, and the cynicism that I see, it just it, to me, it's, it's astonishing. And, and Israel was or is now going to be an observer status of what? Of... of uh, no, they've uh, asked for uh, observer, renewing its observer status, which they used to have at the Organization of African Unity, which is the EU of Africa. Um, as you know, I was there in at the uh, OEU meeting in Equatorial Guinea, and uh, the Iranians went crazy about our presence there. Together, they were also observers there, and the Palestinians and a few others. Um, so there is still a lot of uh, animosity, but there is a, a clearly a sea change that is taking place in, in, in this regard. How uh, eerie was it? As And we played it on the air for everybody. when, uh, As you're watching Bibi Netanyahu speak just meters from where his brother was gunned down 40 years earlier. Sure, it's, it's remarkable. And, and the president of Uganda said Israel was right to do what it did. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, in general, the praise that he gave to some of the African leaders in terms of their dedication to anti-terrorism was remarkable because, you know, frankly, we 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 know what happens when people are recognized as uh, you know those who are leading anti-terrorist campaigns. It doesn't always end well for them, especially in that area of the world. 
No, and, and they look at the Middle East, they see the implosion in the Middle East, and they see the exportation of terrorists. Hezbollah, for instance, is active in many of the countries, and they're undermining the regimes. Uh, groups like Boko Haram that I know people recognize, but there are many such groups, and Al-Qaeda is certainly active, but they, many of these receive support from Iran and, uh, and from Hezbollah, but their activity is, is, uh, is growing, and as, as Hezbollah has more problems in in Syria, I wonder how they will be able to to continue this. You know, they've suffered some big losses, and we see tensions with the Russians uh, around Aleppo, and that uh, you know they made an urgent call to some of the Iraqi militia, and um, and uh, it said that the Iranians wanted to drag Russia into Aleppo by starting the fight there and hoping that uh, that would push Russia to play more of a role. And uh, but it seems Hezbollah is the one who paid the the price for. Uh, Iran's gamble uh, regarding uh, that particular situation, but it, it's obviously there are, are many such situations right now. Paid the price in what way? That they lost a lot of fighters. Mm. I think they lost twenty-five just in that one one confrontation. But it, uh, it, it we know that um, that the, Russia has not used its air force to protect the Hezbollah fighters, and they, they say there's a lot of exhaustion amongst the fighters. Uh, who are spread over several fronts in, in Syria, and that could uh, have also accounted for for the spike that, uh, and also the leadership has been hit. And uh, you know, without leadership, soldiers often do not respond in the same effective way. Yeah, you think Israel is going to finally do something about uh, protecting those who travel on Route 60, as it's been the uh, location of so many different terror attacks and murders over the last couple of years? Well, I know it's been discussed often in alternative roads and having uh, dual roads again, but then the international community says, oh, it's discriminatory, it's apartheid when you have uh, separate roads for Palestinians, separate roads for Israelis. But, um, you know, human life is worth more than anything, and whatever needs to be done, Israel should do. And we see how the international community, for the first time, you know, this quartet report Mm. that we spoke about last week that I said was coming out, right? if you notice that it put the emphasis this time, and that is thanks to U.S. intervention, on incitement right. before the usual tirade against settlement. In fact, Abbas freaked out over that. And broke diplomat, right. broke, said he was breaking with the, relations with, with the Quartet, right. so he's not going to have any more dealings with them, etc., right. which shows a mature response to, the, to, to an issue that he has been warned about, talked about, pressed about for so long, and he refuses to respond to it. And the, in fact, we see that it's gotten worse than the legislation that's been introduced. It's gaining support. Uh, according to statistic, I saw that in 2016, if I'm not mistaken, $172.5 million was allocated by the PA. I know in testimony of Congress they talk about $140 million, but I think that the 2016 budget of the Palestinian Authority allocated over $170 million to pay for pensions, rewards to terrorists, to their families. Uh, it's, it's called the pay-to-slay uh, system. Wow. And I know that uh, Congressman Engel and Congressman Royce, the, uh, Royce, the chairman, and Engel, the vice chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, have been putting out, uh, uh, put forward some proposals um, and, the, and saying that they're not going to continue to tolerate. And I'd say the administration cut back about $80 million out of the $400 million that the Palestinians are to receive, but we want to see bigger cutbacks. We want to see that there's a real uh, price that they have to pay. 
because otherwise we are paying then for the killers of U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Hila, for instance, was a U.S. citizen. Right. Uh, so were others who, who were killed even in, in the, the recent weeks. So it's a very important uh, message, but Abbas doesn't care what his people don't get. He doesn't care about the economic development that could, that could be taking place. And he sees that the, that the world is passing them by, and that the Arab countries and others are reaching out and, and leaving them uh, uh, behind. And this is um, this is the real tragedy there. Yeah, no question about that. Speaking of the of the uh, PA, or in this case, speaking of Hamas, it's now. I'm reading this Jerusalem Post article. Two years ago, Israel's longest one of Israel's longest wars erupted on this date uh, two years ago. And despite the fact that a ceasefire reached with Hamas has held firm, the Gazan border today remains as explosive as ever. Now, I learned a couple of things from this article. First of all, it's amazing the advancement in Iron Dome over the last two years. Do you see what its capability is now compared to two years ago? Yes. It's unbelievable. And you know that there is even an underwater Iron Dome where there's special units of the Navy who work. It's called the underwater unit. Half of the members are women, by the way. They, they, and they have planted sonar devices to be able to, de- to, to detect primarily Hezbollah, but also Hamas frogmen, that underwater they, can, they get an early warning system. Wow. And that uh, these people are used to install the systems to, to you know, work on missile boats from underneath, and the motors are, are underneath, and to neutralize uh, rockets and other submerged uh, hazards. Uh, and Iron Dome has and is continuing to evolve, which is why the funding issue is so important. Right. That there's so much, there's much more to be done, and also you need to purchase a lot of units. Just having the technology, but knowing that you have 130,000 missiles in the north, and God knows how many in Hamas's hands, um, that the that you need a huge capacity of David Sling, of the Iron Dome, all of them, to, to be able to respond. Iron Dome may look like it's 2014 equivalent, but other than appearance, everything about the groundbreaking system has changed. The batteries can intercept at greater range, deal with right. larger salvos, and have additional classified abilities. And I have my own conjecture of what that means. It must be amazing. I ring this up because we know about the network of tunnels that continues to be built you know, uh, around Gaza and into Israel. Um, and it's no secret anymore at this point. I think that anybody who lives there <laughs> knows it uh, because um, uh, they continuously report about noises underground. And obviously the Israeli government at this point, the military, knows about it. But it, are, are we getting to a point where it might be unnecessary to solve the tunnel problem by actually you know, going in and forcefully taking on Hamas because Iron Dome-like technology is going to allow the Israeli military to eliminate those tunnels without having to, you know, put people in peril and soldiers at war? Well, there, there is technology that has been developed to detect. Um, and once they detect them, then they have means of eliminating them. But remember, these are, are very intricate. And people always say to me, well, why can't they just collapse them? Why don't they flood them? These are far more complicated. And what information, and by the way, there, there were some revelations this week, that were very interesting because they found uh, in at least two cases guys who were working uh, to to aid in uh, Hamas. One was a courier. He, his livelihood, and he had a permit to enter Israel for business, but his livelihood, it turned out, is they drove a truck that removed the sand from all the diggings for uh, both rocket uh, placements and, and, and tunnels. the tunnels. And his job was to go at night, the trunks you hear rumbling, 
and to remove the sand and hide it so that by the morning it wasn't there and and it's very, you know Israel couldn't detect exactly where the openings were and he he acknowledges and so, and he had ten thousand dollars in cash in his shoes and the Israelis obviously caught him and and he told them about the locations, the technology, etc. And another guy who was also carrying $10,000, also in his shoes, uh, a similar circumstance, but not a truck driver, uh, but he was involved in the construction and also gave a lot of information. But it's a, a complex warren of these underground on the other side of the border. And Israel obviously is, is focused on those that cross and come under the border. And the ability to fight above ground does not in any way diminish the need because all, all you need is one successful raid. They can attack uh, a kindergarten, they can attack a village, they can kidnap. They, their goal is to, to take hostages and to kill as many as possible. So it doesn't mitigate the need to have all of these resources uh, devoted to it. And you think, again, this little country has to have the abilities and develop abilities to confront so many uh, challenges at one time from the north, from the south, from potential other strikes from the sea. And and by the way, the, the situation in Gaza um, really was highlighted this week because of the tensions with Egypt and Hamas. Uh, they they canceled a, an invitation to a large Hamas delegation that was to be headed by the deputy head of Hamas, uh, Musa Abu Marzouk, who were supposed to visit Cairo, and they canceled it because they haven't lived up to the the demands and said that they, they these had to be addressed before reconciliation and especially the, the question of them controlling the borders with Egypt preventing Islamic state fighters in Sinai from getting into Gaza uh, were among the key issues that the, the Egyptians uh, uh, on which Egyptians acted against the uh, Hamas so Hamas has and is having internal problems of its of its own I think and God willing have many more uh, but the uh, so the, the situation there is a that Israel and Egypt continue to work, and I would say ever more closely uh, on the, their mutual interests. ISIS is a big problem in the Sinai. It is not going away. It's there, but you know steps are being taken. And uh, again, and they're an ally of Hamas. Right. And if Hamas wanted to, at least according to what I read, if Hamas so th- there's a, there's a love hate relationship between Hamas and and ISIS. Yeah, but if Hamas, if Hamas uh, requested that they you know take a position in the Sinai and, and launch rockets from there on Israel, they probably would, correct? Well, they have launched some, but they don't want to take on Israel. They know that the, what the response will. Well, be. Well, that's my question: Does Hamas want to provoke Israel into a war now or not? No, for sure, they're, they're not ready for a war. That's why you don't see a bigger response, and often those who launch it may not may want to provoke it, but they're not. It's not Hamas does not feel it's ready, and they know that Israel's response this time will not be limited. And that's why the message from these people who were caught about how they're placing them near mosques, how they're placing them in civilian homes, the openings, or or the placement of rocket launchers again in civilian areas, so that when they talk about. Mr. Sanders, especially disproportionality, should read this and understand that it's not a disproportional response. It's it's hardly a proportional response to those who want to put civilians in harm's way and are doing it again, despite the war, despite the outcome and uh, the international focus. But they see that in the end, Israel gets blamed no matter what. Israel should do what it has to do. The international community will do will will go along its normal path of of uh, condemnation of one sided condemnations. At some point, they're going to get tired of it because they all become victims of it.
Well, yeah, but not soon enough. That's the <laughs> they become victims maybe down the road, but uh, they're they're much more concerned with condemning Israel and worrying about their own victimhood. Uh, is, well, but look at all, there isn't a country today in the Middle East that is not facing not one the, these challenges, which is why many of them are, are, are turning to to Israel. And you'd, you'd include Africa now as well, the way you described it, and the African it. countries yeah. as well, exactly. And and uh, look what, what they face from Libya. Look what they face from Al Qaeda, from Algeria, uh, who are infiltrating and and uh, Turkey. But I got it. It's got designs on it. Let alone Iran having designs on it. And you see, you know, the 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 expansionist and the caliphate drive of these. You know that the, this is their manifest destiny. You see Turkey, by the way, getting very involved in Jerusalem. Yeah, reports it, that they're buying religious sites that they are active on the Temple Mount that it, they are. It seems they were more desperate to uh, repair the relationship with Israel than anyone thought. Well, they, they have paid a heavy price for it, and right now, given the tensions he has with Russia, which he's also trying to repair, but his internal uh, economic conditions are terrible, especially because the Russians stopped coming, Israelis stopped coming, Arkia flying, I don't know, 20 flights a week to, to the Greek islands because people aren't going to Turkey the way they used to. The the, 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 he has a lot of uh, challenges himself, but you see the ultimate drive. They're building mosques all over Europe, all over, in extremely large numbers, and these are radical religious establishments uh, teaching, uh, well, he is essentially Muslim Brotherhood, and, uh, and, and you see that the people demonstrating on the Temple Mount all of a sudden carry Turkish flags, right. and that the three Turkish citizens were amongst those who were arrested for provoking violence on the Temple Mount, and that, that obviously Jerusalem is a critical um, uh, place for anybody who wants to assert their dominance in the region. So Turkey, despite the peace agreement, and I think it was very important, not peace agreement, the uh, understanding that was reached, uh, which is not yet fully implemented or implemented, we have to see that they actually do everything, including sending an ambassador, um, uh, that their drive for, for regional hegemony is as strong as ever. Erdogan is, as I said, one who, who wants to see the Ottoman Empire established, just as the Iranians. Khomeini has the desire and is trying to implement it worldwide to create his caliphate and the and the Persian Empire. All right, we got to go. I just got to ask you, why, why would you say Israel's response will not be limited this time? What gives you the confidence to, to think that that's going to be true? Because they're not going to have a choice. The, 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 the need to respond, whether it's against Hezbollah, the last time they were restrained, because if you remember, Hezbollah wasn't part of the government, and that they, so they didn't hit infrastructure of Lebanon. But today, they are part of the Lebanese government, so the, every target is a legitimate one and if they are struck. Um, I don't anticipate right now that Hezbollah wants a war either. It could happen. It can be set off. There could be skirmishes uh, that are set off. Israel has responded periodically. But what you're saying, you'd apply it to Gaza as well. The response and, will not be limited and the like the same thing. It does apply to Gaza. Right. In, in uh, boy, there are a lot of people in this audience who hope you're right. Well, look, I think people should go. People can be safe in visiting. Uh, uh, Israel is very much on the alert. They're doing things every day to address these challenges. There are no guarantees. There's no way anybody can know what these crazy people will do if their domestic situation uh, requires them, or, or, or if, uh, if Iran wants to stimulate a uh, response or another crisis, although they have plenty on their, on their hands right now. Uh, any of these things can really set off uh, an incident which can escalate, as we've seen in the Middle East too often, very much. 
Although, again, as I said, I don't think Hamas and Hezbollah right now have would want to see because they're going to get uh, a response that will be, uh, let's hope, not proportional, uh, but effective. Yeah. All right. Uh, we will reconvene next week. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. A weekly update Friday, 740 Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach. Outside of Israel, it's Parshas Korach with candlelighting time at 8.09 on this Erev Shabbos. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Korach. Parshas Korach is one of those parshios which unfortunately does not get any easier from year to year. It has nine mitzvos according to the Chinuch, five positive mitzvos and four restrictions. Interestingly, the first half of the parsha, which deals with the rebellion of one cousin against another, Korach, a first cousin of Moshe, who rebels against the authority of Moshe and Aharon. So the first half of the parsha is putting the authority of Kahuna and Leviah in question. And the second half of the parsha, the nine mitzvos deal with mitzvos that relate to Kahuna and Leviah, including the mitzvah of Pidyon Haben. I'd like to address the obvious question, which doesn't get easier from year to year. And Rashi asks the question, Right? What did, what caused Korach to lead this rebellion? So, first of all, chronologically, when does this happen? If Rashi continues and cites from our rabbis that Korach is jealous that he was not appointed the Nasi, the leader over the Levium of Kahas, but rather a younger first cousin, Elitzafan ben Uziel, then really that happened earlier in the book of Bamidbar. Why is it first now? So some say that it's only after last week's parsha of Shlach that the Jewish people are now destined to be in the desert for 40 years that the popularity of Moshe has waned and this is an opportunity a crack so to speak in the wall a foot in the door that Korach has that he can now challenge the authority of Moshe they're no longer enamored with a leader who's prayer on their behalf failed and they're now destined to spend the next 39 years in the desert. Aha! So now, interestingly, Korach rebels. Now what can he offer them? He can't offer them a Chov Yisrael Carvel in the Midbar. So what can he offer them? What do they have in the Midbar? They have spirituality. Aha! You have spirituality, says Korach, I'm going to offer you more. Watch. Allow me to explain. The, if I may, there are two different forms of serving Hashem. 
we'll call it plan A, plan B. Plan A is for all of the tribes, except for the tribe of Levi. All of the tribes have land in Eretz Yisrael. Now the relationship between Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael is a very special one. It's one that the land responds only to the Jewish people. It's one that the mitzvos of the land, except for the exception that we had last week of Chala, the mitzvos did not take effect until after Sheva Shekivshu Sheva Shechilku until after the 14 years, 7 years of conquering, 7 years of dividing. So when each Jew was finally on his place, a very special relationship existed. Namely, that through the working of the land itself, the Jew had a very special attachment to Hashem. Namely, so the fruits that he planted in the land of Israel, as they emerged, he put a sign around them, and they were taken as Bikurim, first fruits. The fruits themselves were elevated, and when a Jew planted grain in the land of Israel, so that grain which came forth, he was not allowed to eat yet until Truma to the Kohen, Ma'aser to the Levi, one and two, four and five years out of the Shemitah cycle, years one, two, four, five, a second tenth of that grain produce was brought to Yerushalayim. Year three and six, it went to the poor. The whole concept of Shemitah and Yovel, the land itself emitted a kind of Kedusha sanctity to the people. Now this was wonderful for the Hamon Am, for the people at large. How about the Levim? The Levim who did not have land. So Hashem says to the Levim at the end of this week's parsha, wait a second, I am going to give you a Chelef Avodaschem literally the next to the last verse in the parsha, in place of the service that you provide for me, capital M, says Hashem to the Levim, I am going to give you Ani Nachalaschem. I, God, am your inheritance. What and the special relationship that the Jewish people have through the land with Hashem Levim who don't have land, they will have this kind of unique, personalized, special relationship that Hashem will have with each Levi through their service in the Mikdash. Now, once again, what can Korach offer the people? Comes Korach and says to the people, and says it to Moshe, Wait a minute. Everybody is holy. We were all at Sinai hearing the Aseris Adibros. And therefore, just like the Levim can have that kind of a relationship without needing to go through the formality of the mitzvos, a more personalized, subjective 
kind of a relationship, an emotional one, would be sufficient, that if that works, and that's what Korach was saying, with the Levim, well, this is what he was promising the rest of Klai Yisrael as well. Oila Russia says Rashi, Oila Shcheno. And so, a good number of these 250 men were from the tribe of Reuven. What happens? So, Korach goes to Reuven and says, You, Reuven, come on, you're the Bechor. But Moshe took it away from you. And all other tribes, before the sin of the Egel, there was no concept of Levim. It was the firstborn in each family that represented the family. Every mommy, every daddy was so proud that their firstborn could serve in the Mikdash. And that was taken away, says Korach by Moshe. What is his platform? His platform in, I will restore and give you this quote-unquote personal religiosity, this personal sense of ruchnius that was taken away from you. And therefore, we can understand when Moshe says to Korach and the group that's there, at the end of Pasuk Zion, at the beginning of the parsha, Rav Lachem B'nai Levi. Now, what does that mean, Rav Lachem B'nai Levi? It is usually understood to mean that, wait a second, come on, you, what you have is enough, listen carefully, by being Levim, and don't want more, namely Kahuna. But now, with this interpretation of Rav Lochem B'nai Levi, I'd like to give it the interpretation to mean, wait a second, Hashem says, no, this is not meant to be the modus operandi. This is not meant to be the way of all of Kla Yisrael to serve Hashem. This was meant to be in a controlled fashion only for Shevet Levi, who is doing the Avoda, and through the Avoda, they're going to be able to get Chilef Nachalaschem, Avodaschem, Ani Nachalaschem, they'll be able to get this personal kind of a relationship with Hashem. What emerges from the Machlokes between Moshe and Korach, Korach, who instigates this Machlokes, is, it's, is a democracy that ultimately reigns within the Jewish people, which is what Korach was saying. Each person can, on his own, do it. Or is it Kedusha? And that's why, when Moshe responds, what does he say? He says, ish, Hashem, hu Moshe is telling Korach a very, very important message. This message is found in the Rashi, the Rashi of Boker, when Moshe puts off the rebellion and says, guys, come back in the morning. He's hoping that they'd sleep it off, this foolishness. And Rashi brings the Medrash. Boker, Omalehem Moshe, Hashem has set limits in his world. Can you change morning into night and vice versa? So too you can't change this. What's the this? 
Who's a Kohen? Who's a Levi? Who's a Yisrael? And the specific roles that are given to each. Shinemar, as it says at the conclusion or of the first day, Hashem put morning and night, so too in Divrei Hayomim, chapter 23, verse 13, what does it say? Aaron was set apart, the same one who set apart morning and night, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, set apart the tribe of Levi. Within Levi set apart the Kohanim. Within the Kohanim set apart a Kohen Gadol. And therefore, these boundaries are set from on high. The Talmud tells us that each person has to do their tafkid. Within the Levian, some were those that played instruments, those were singers, and the third ones were Mishoarim, gatekeepers. Open the gates, close the gates. And the Gemara in Erechin 11b says that a Mishoarim, Sheshoar, one who's supposed to be singing, who took the job and said, well, I'll be a gatekeeper. He does this, Bishel Chavero, Bimisa. On some level, he has committed a major sin. He's of Misa to Hashem because he's not fulfilling his personal tafkid. Everybody was put in this world to do a tafkid. And unless you are a Kohen or a Levi or a Yisrael, that's what your tafkid is. A man was given his tafkid and a woman was given her tafkid. And for each to say, I will take on your role, they are going against that which Hashem put boundaries into the world. Rasalvechik Zechronel of Racha interpreted the verse in chapter 1 of Bereshis, which speaks about the creation of man. Pasuk 27. Look at the Pasuk, and there's a lot of what might appear to be redundancy. God created man, the man, in his image. In the image of God, he created him. And then, Zachar Unikeva, male and female, Bara Osam. And Rav Salvechik, Zachronel of Racha, said that that last phrase, male and female, he created them, goes back to the Tselem Elokim and says that each was endowed with a different Tselem Elokim. And each one was put in this world to serve God in their way. And this is such an important lesson that we read Parshas Korach annually, not only for the nine mitzvot that are contained therein, but also to remind us of each person's particular responsibility and calling in life to fulfill their personalized tough kid. You're not exactly sure what that is. For that, you've got to go, as you're taught in the first chapter of Avos, and through the help of a mentor, a teacher, a guide, a rabbi, 
of Rosh Hashiva, you will be able to, to the best of your ability, fulfill your Tafkid. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. and the A.M. Yankee Lemmer, that amazing Mimkomcha rendition. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candle lighting at 8.09 on this Erev Shabbos, Parsha's Korach. Korach uh, is the Parsha outside of Israel this week. Amazing programming on our stream all day long at jmtheam.org and, of course, on the NSN app. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's a table for two encore with Naomi Nachman, Tamar Genger, executive editor of joyofkosher.com, Yossi Mutterpearl of Southside Sandwich Shop, and the restaurant guy, Ilan Kornblum, are all part of the um, Naomi Nachman table for two program between 9 and 10. The Arab Shabbos music mix, of course, is brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with both Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler on the Torah portion of the week. Eternal Flame at 10 o'clock tomorrow night. Headlines with uh, David Lichtenstein at 11 p.m. tomorrow night. Amazing programming all through the weekend, including JM Sunday with Matt this Sunday morning beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Yes, 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 even on the weekend. We have amazing programming that we provide for you at jmtheam.org and on the NSN app. Bruce Avram invites everybody to the Rebbe, his teaching and his message, walking in the footsteps of the Rebbe, with special guest speaker, Menachem Mendel Glukowski. Uh, this is uh, this coming Sunday, July the 10th, at the Bruce Avram Center Congregation, Shomri Torah, Ohel Yosef Yitzchak, at 910 Salem Avenue in Hillside, New Jersey. Men and women are invited. Uh, it starts at 7 p.m. with dinner. Uh, 7 p.m. is dinner. 7.25 is a lecture, followed by Mincha, and information, brisavrum.org, brisavrum.org, or 908-289-0770, 908-289-0770. By the way, a mazel tov going out to the Felder and Goldberg families. Um, the Honorable New York State Senator Simcha Felder and his family, uh, Rabbi and Mrs. Shlomo Goldberg and the entire Goldberg family, uh, they uh, last night celebrated the wedding of uh, Rochi and Yaakov uh, in Brooklyn, New York. So we say mazel tov. Uh, to the Felder and Goldberg families from all of us here at JM in the AM on the big occasion. And we should continue to share amazing smachot, incredible, wonderful occasions together. Candle lighting at 8.09, 12 minutes before 9 o'clock. Naomi Nachman at 9 o'clock with Table for Two coming up at jmtheam.org and on the uh, NSN app. I certainly hope you'll... Uh, Stay tuned in for that and listen in from around the world all day long. There is no better way. And if you're traveling somewhere today to the island or uh, the southern Jersey or the Catskills, you're traveling somewhere today, just pop that NSN app onto your phone and listen to our Erev Shabbos music mix for the entire ride. No better way to prepare for Shabbos than with the amazing selections that are in the Erev Shabbos music mix. So check that out and enjoy. Uh, more coming up. This is JM in the AM.
a.m. in the a.m. Raya Mehemna and Lachadodi Mimkomo done by Chazen Sherwood Goffin before that. Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach. Time to say good Shabbos journeys at JM and the sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 
Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week for us here at JMNAM. Don't forget, we're back Monday morning starting at 6 a.m. Great programming on our stream all through today, all through Saturday night. And all through Sunday, make sure to be tuned in and enjoy. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Until next week, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.